Thanks for staying up so late with us. This will only take about three hours, so it'll be okay. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript The Good Parts, Build Web Applications with Node.js, AngularJS In-Depth, and Advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they give you a $2,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept the job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code JavaScriptJabber, you'll get a $10 credit. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 196 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Dave Smith. Hello. Amy Knight. Hello, Rob. AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you live from Utah once again. I'm Charles Max Wood from devchat.tv. Quick shout out about Freelance Remote Comp and React Remote Comp, so go check those out. You can find them at allremotecomps.com. We have two special guests this week. We have Ian Bull. Hey there, I'm up in uh, Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. I, I started with the one that I knew I wouldn't slaughter. And Johan Krause. Hey, excellent. I'm here in Germany. Awesome. You want to do a little bit more of an introduction, who you are, what you do, who you work for? Yeah, so let me get started. My name is Jochen Krause. I'm with Eclipse Source. I have a Java background and have been involved with Eclipse. So our company name is Eclipse Source. So we've been around in the Eclipse space for more than 10 years. And I've been very active in the Eclipse community, serving in, in various roles, uh, for example, on the board of directors, uh, but also in, in some technical areas as uh, in the, on the architecture council or the runtime PMC. My focus has shifted since roughly five years. So my main interest is mobile. And I think that mobile is transforming the software industry. And, and that's basically why we got involved in, in that space. Uh, I'm Ian, uh, Ian Bull. As I said, up, up, I'm up in uh, Victoria, British Columbia, in Canada, on the West Coast here. I've worn many different hats during my technical career. I did a master's thesis in reverse engineering and program comprehension. I did a PhD in software visualization, started some Eclipse projects, the Zest project back then, and then started working as an Eclipse committer and in leadership roles there. I've been a toolsmith, a framework developer, Eclipse leader. But I think the underlying theme when I was thinking about this is I've always been very interested in making developers more productive. 
and that even continues now into the, the Tavers work that I'm doing. So um, I've been at Eclipse Source oof, over seven years now, so having a having a great time. So tell us about Tabris JS. What is it? And did I say it right? You did. Yoke, do you want to take the introduction to Tabris JS? You want me to take it? Go ahead. All right. Well, what do we what do we say we are? We say we're the uh, the easiest to use cross platform toolkit for kick ass mobile apps. So we're all about making um, developing mobile apps much easier, bringing JavaScript to the devices, developing native applications, and and develop and, and applications that are not only easy for the developers to develop, but look good and your users are happy to use as well. So we want and, to make things easier for the developer and, and a great experience for the user. Yeah, and with native applications, we don't mean a native shell that runs a browser. We mean native widgets. So the native controls of the mobile platform, we're using that to create the user interface. So as I understand it, uh, this is in, in a similar category as Facebook's React, but you guys have been doing this a bit longer, right? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we started that development roughly two years ago, and we've been out with that before React Native. React is obviously also a very interesting technology. It has a little bit different focus. It does not provide a abstraction over different operating systems. So basically, you get the same language, but you have to write your app multiple times for multiple uh, mobile platforms. And with Terrace.js, you write, we have an abstraction over the platform, so you write your app once and uh, run it on different platforms. I think that's one of the big uh, differences. And a second big difference is that you don't need any specific hardware or you don't need the mobile SDKs for the platform. You can just use JavaScript and NPM and Cordova, and we do the rest for you. We build the software for you. You can run it on your mobile device without ever touching any Objective-C code or any Java code. So just to be clear, you, you mentioned Cordova, and you've also mentioned React Native. And uh, the difference between the two is that React Native actually works through the JavaScript br- bridge to the Objective-C runtime, whereas a lot of these other systems use uh, Cordova, like Ionic or uh, some of the others that are out there. So does does Tabris or Tabris JS run on? Uh, is it does it run over Cordova or does it use the JavaScript bridge? Uh, it uses the JavaScript bridge. So, but we still can use, or you can still use Cordova plugins for adding device functionality, not for adding UI. But if you, for example, want to talk to the Bluetooth, yeah, you can use mm-hmm. a plugin that enables access to Bluetooth through JavaScript. Okay. And you can use a Cordova plugin for that, but no browser, no HTML. That's all native widgets. Okay, so just to be clear, you're in the same category then as NativeScript and React Native. Yes. Yes. How exactly does that work? How do you expose Bluetooth functionality if it's just a Cordova thing? Do they expose that to JavaScript APIs already? Yeah, so Cordova does. Uh, they, they, 
I mean, Cordova exposes that to the web views and, and has APIs for accessing that JavaScript APIs. And we just use, you know, expose the same APIs that now you can access in Tabris. So if there's stuff that has dependency on web views and web UIs, you can't use any of those plugins, but there's a, a great deal of plugins out there with Cordova Bluetooth being a good example, the camera plugins, plugins for accessing geolocations, network information, um, all those types camera. of things. Yeah, camera. Um, all those things you can get access to because they expose the same JS API. Or they expose the JS API and we just make the same one available to, to our developers. So you, you touched on this a little bit, but what's kind of the, the main benefit of using this over something like NativeScript or React Native? You said one of the benefits is writing it all in the same language. What, what would you say the other benefits are? A big benefit is ease of development. I can write an iOS application without touching Xcode. I can do it without a Mac. And so I can get something up and running very quickly cross-platform and in addition to the, the toolkit that we provide, we also provide uh, an online service for doing the builds automatically for you. So you can connect it right to your GitHub uh, account and it will pull down your, your JavaScript code. It will build you an APK for Android and you can download that and install it right on your phone. Um, and it will do the same and, and build out an iOS application as well. And you can take that and, and test that right there or, you know, build your release version and publish that right to a store. So it makes getting started very easy. We have Windows, uh, we're starting Windows support as well, or I shouldn't say starting, we have a, we have one up and running now. So we have iOS, Android, and Windows all in one. So you write it once and can try it across all those different devices. And it's fairly performant, actually it's very performant in the way that we've done it. So we're running iOS or JS Core on iOS and we're using V8. We've actually started another project called J2V8 which is a set of uh, V8 bindings uh, for Java. So you can use uh, V8. It exposes the V8 API to Java developers. We've open sourced that project as well. That's one that I um, that I did last year. And so that makes, um, so we use that for, for our JavaScript on, on Android. And so we get as, you know, as good a performance as V8 gets on Android. And we're using Chakra, which is, I think it's being open sourced very soon from Microsoft. And that's their new JavaScript runtime which I think is powering their new Edge browser and all of that. Is there so, any other advantages there you can, you can think of? Yeah, it's a very concise API. So, I mean, we've been building platforms since a long time, since more than 10 years. And we know about the value of a concise, concise API. And if, if I look at the amount of code that I need to write an app, uh, I think we are, Tabris.js is very, very good in respect to that. And then as well, we get access to uh, NPM packages that are JavaScript NPM packages you can just include in your app as well. So if there's things out there that you're already familiar with from Node.js development, a lot of those things that you can pull in and use in our apps, uh, in in Tabris.js apps as well. We have a mindset. I mean, we've been in in the Eclipse space for a long time. Why is Eclipse very successful because it provided a platform that many people could plug into and extend it and everybody could focus on the stuff that he does best. And so when we started building a mobile platform, we looked at the ecosystem. So Cordova, I mean, minus the UI capabilities is a very, very big ecosystem. We looked into NPM NPM is a huge ecosystem, and we try to find ways to 
enable people that are in those ecosystems, enable the, the code that lives there to work together with our solution. So we provided some W3C APIs, for example, XML HTTP request. We offer that in a standard compliant way so that libraries that are using XML HTTP requests will just work with Tamaris. And we're doing the same thing with the Canvas, for example, or with timers or with multiple W3C APIs. And I think that's, that's a different mindset. So other people go out and think they can create their own ecosystem and probably they can, but our mindset is play well with others. And so I think you will find that in Tamaris.js that we work well with others. And if you have experience with these technologies, you will be, you will feel whole with Tamaris.js. So it sounds like the story for the JavaScript developer is really good here. There's some differences, obviously, but if you worked in Node and you've worked in a browser or even you've worked in a browser and you've worked in Internet Explorer, you've come to expect some differences. What I'm curious about now is it sounds like whether I'm an iOS developer or an Android developer, the UI experience is different from what I may have used before. So tell me about that creating the, the panels or the flows. How, how is that uh, in comparison to iOS or Android or whatever? Basically, I mean, we have an abstraction. So our abstraction is page and a page is a page on, on iOS and a page on, on Android. It, it looks and feels like the native page or like a native panel. And actually navigation is not that different anymore. I mean, you do have that back button on Android and we do have a handling for a back button. So you can intercept back button calls. Um, but otherwise, the navigation is currently pretty close between those platforms. It's often more the visuals so that you can swipe back on iOS, but that there's no code involved. Yeah. So you open a page and another page on top. And if you want to go back, you can just swipe uh, the page to the right and then you get to the page that's below. So, um, I don't think that you need a lot of code in those, in, in, in with respect to that. So, in regards to the experience with iOS, I, I do have Xcode, which sometimes is an asset and sometimes is a liability. But in looking at it as an asset, it gives me a way to visually kind of drag and drop some elements. And it's, it's very mm -hmm. Visual Studio esque in that sense of uh, getting started doesn't feel super intimidating. And so I'm wondering if you guys have tools that give you that kind of experience or if it's more the web experience where you try it, you refresh, you try it, you refresh. Uh, probably much more to, to, well, to the later. And, it's, and, and I think that's one of the big advantages because it is so easy to just dynamically load code and run it. So we, we actually provide a web-based editor and you can go right on that web-based editor and we, and we have a, a tool that an app you can install that will just connect to that editor and get your script, whatever script is in that editor and load it on your app. And you can just start hacking in that editor and right on your app, you just hit refresh and you'll get, you know, over the air update of the new one. And you can just try things out and mess around with that. It's much less code than Xcode or uh, Objective-C or, or Java. In, in the JavaScript API, it's 
pretty small, so it's pretty easy to get something up and running very quickly. I mean, a button is a great button. Now you have your button on your page, and you can set some different layout properties of, of where you want that to be anchored to. But it's the experience is very similar to what someone who has web dev experience would. Yeah, but it's not. It's yeah, it's it's not the Adobe tool stack type of uh, experience that you're getting, or the uh, uh, Xcode experience where you drag and drop stuff. You write code. And you use, and you can use whatever tools you want. I said we have a web-based editor, but you can use Atom on your local machine if you want. Um, hey, if you're an Eclipse developer, you can use that. I do most of my hacking in BI, and, and that works well for me. So we're, we're not saying you have to use any one particular tool. If you have a text editor um, and you can host a, a file, then you can connect to it over HTTP and just fetch that and and try it, refresh, try it, refresh. And But again, it's real native code that's running on there. So it downloads that script and then executes that script on your device. So while we're talking about the concept of making changes and getting over-the-air updates, do you uh, also provide the ability to do over-the-air updates for apps that have been installed in and are running on user devices? Yes. That was one of the uh, first features that we added after our, our 1.0 release because obviously it was the first large app out there, there was a bug in it, and it took us a week to get that, or our customer, a week to uh, iron out that bug. And so that was the first feature for for 1.1 release. Many people don't know that, but if you have JavaScript code and you don't alter the application massively, then you're allowed to exchange functionality um, in an app that has been published. So that's legal if it's JavaScript code run by JavaScript core. And so we have that capability to load code on demand and update the app, basically restart the app, and then it's picking up that new code. So when a Travis application starts on a user device, does it actually check a server to see if it has the latest code, or does it do that by some other means? That's all up to you. Yeah, we basically provide a mechanism but not a implementation. So you have to, you can set up a URL. Yeah. And uh, oh, but I have to host it. You have to host it. Yeah. Right. Makes sense. Or you can package everything up in an app and it's completely static and that's, that's what you get. And so it's really up to you. I mean, we provide the toolkit and, and some technologies there to do that. And whatever works for your app is what we recommend. So at the risk of getting too deep into this topic, I do want to ask one more question. And that is that a friend of mine who's working with React Native on iOS uh, is also doing live updating uh, in a very similar method to what you described. But he's using a third-party service to host his JavaScript code in the app. You know, when it wakes up, it checks in with his service and sees if it has the latest code. And if it doesn't, it updates. But the method for updating, he, he said he actually has to crash the app. Or he has to instruct the user to do the double home button tap and then swipe the app away in order to reload it. Do you guys have that restriction or have you somehow managed to work around it so that you can update in a more seamless, user-friendly way? Uh, we can do it in a seamless, user-friendly way. So actually, we have an app in the App Store that's called the Tabris.js developer app. And that developer app allows you to load code. Ian mentioned that, for example, from an online editor or from your from your computer or from any uh, place on the internet and and run that. So we have that basically built in in, in in the core of the framework that you can create a new context, yeah, a new JavaScript context and just run some code in it. And because with, we have that ability, we can also basically restart an app 
which is not a complete restart of the app. It's just a complete new JavaScript context and an app running on that. And our Tabbers.js app actually has a number of snippets and examples built right in. And it does that. I mean, that's essentially you start it up and you can connect to, uh, to our scratch pad to download the code there, or you can try one of the examples right on that. And that works by loading that, that code from that example and then starting that one, starting a new JavaScript context right there. And so you can mess around and play with it and, and see the code there. And, uh, but that, that works that exact same way. So gets it, loads that, that context up with that particular snippet and then starts running that one. That sounds really cool for experimenting with new ideas. You find a lot of people use it. Like, is it pretty, pretty popular? Yeah, it yeah. is. And it's, it's, yeah. And I mean, it's a great way to, to get started. I mean, in addition to doing that, we, we have, you can, you know, hack online with the editor. We even have a developer console. You can slide it in from the right. So if you've, you know, you can do console log and get stuff there. And we've just started adding support there for keyboard support. So if you have a hardwired keyboard to your device, you can actually make changes to your, your app on the fly. So I can say, okay, put me a new button on this page, hit enter in my console and a new button now appears right on there. For those people familiar with small talk from years ago, they say, oh, we had that back in the eighties, but now we've brought that to mobile devices with JavaScript. <laughs> so 30 years later, phones can do what computers can do in small talk. <laughs> That's what our small talk friends tell us. Oh, they're very smug about it, aren't they? they what are. if they're just making it all up? <laughs> oh yeah, we used to do that back in the eighties. Oh no, 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 sure no. Sure, you did. Small so talk. Small guys. talk did all that stuff, and and yes, they're all smug about it. <laughs> I I want to make up a fake nineteen forties technology that just <laughs> makes everything we do now pale in comparison. We did that back in the forties. The king of smugness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would I would type in Chuck is the boss, and then I could hear all the gears were, and then it would do awesome stuff. So uh, develop the rest of the application off of that seed. That's right. So while we're talking while we're talking about live updating of your apps in production, this is a philosophical question. But you know, as we say these things, those of us who are in the iOS world, I'm sure, are going, "That's so cool!" And Android users are going, "So what? I can push updates to my users whenever I want because my App Store, my Google Play Store, is a lot more flexible and and willing to just let me publish stuff." Well, to a certain, you know, a little. It's not. We're not quite talking about that level, but. What I wanted to ask was, do you foresee in the future a time when Apple just has to give in because of tools like Travis and React Native and others that have this live update baked right into the frameworks so that you can push updates so quickly and pretty much bypass the approval process? Do you feel like this walled garden of Apple having to approve every app that goes to the store is eventually going to crumble? We can, with Tabris, can get Apple to change uh, <laughs> to give it to something <laughs> won't happen. I'm, I'm retiring at that point. <laughs> well, remember it. It's Tim Cook now. It's not Steve Jobs. Won't so. happen. So, so here's the I deal. Mean, here's the deal. Seriously, right? Apple effectively approved Travis, in you know, indirectly, and they're letting people do this now. So they've right. effectively given that concession already. Right. But do you well, think that that will have broader implications in the future? I think it may work the other way. I think what will probably happen is you're going to have Tabris or. Uh, some of these others, I mean, all of them can do it, both the Cordova and the native, uh, systems. They can all do it because JavaScript is considered a static asset and therefore can be updated on the fly by your program. So somebody's going to abuse it, right? Somebody's going to have little kitties on the screen and then boom, hijack or boom, it's ads or something. You know, they're going to abuse it in a major way. And complaints are going to come back, and then and then Apple's going to come in, and they're going to lock it down. That's what's going to happen, in my opinion. 
I, I don't think Tim Cook's Apple is that way. I mean, he introduced the USB-C charger, the first thing that Apple ever has that isn't proprietary to them. So I think I think Steve, that Tim Cook's Apple, uh, personal opinion, I, I think that they'll give in more. What do Johan and Ian think? I think it's less likely it's the technology that's going to make them give in. I think it'll be some big business. I mean, at some point, I, I don't know how the banks are doing it, but obviously when they find a bug in their mobile apps, they have to have that out there immediately. And when when the big Bank of America comes to Apple and says, when we find a bug, it's got to be fixed within you know 12 hours to all of our users. We don't care about your process that you have. Uh, though they're going to have a much, you know, th- th- that that's where Apple will have to change and, and do things. And I'm sure they already are in talks on how that kind of stuff happens. I could see that too. Yeah, so maybe they turn off that possibility to update on the fly, but then they will have to speed up. Yeah, they'll, yeah, have, if, yeah. they'll have to streamline something. Yep. Yeah, because to get your app in the App Store in the first place takes... If you're lucky, it'll take a few days, but usually it takes a few weeks. Yeah, I mean, I, I was actually... When iOS 9 came out, a lot of apps were broken. And we've seen app reviews within 24 hours, but that was only for a week or two. <laughs> it went back yeah. to normal. Most of those were during the beta, and that was frustrating because iOS 9 was clearly in beta and people were leaving poor reviews, which wasn't really fair. Because mm-hmm. it was the OS. The the app developers didn't even have a chance to update it. So, yep. so I have something that I want to... Uh, bring up that is I, I was looking through the documentation on this and I was like, no, 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 no. Please don't do this to me. So uh, if you look at native script and the way that they do their views, the way they do their views is you have this XML markup, which isn't gorgeous. And I don't love it either, but the way that I see Tabris doing its markup or its views is you basically create a page object and then you append the other, views to it so you have your buttons and text and everything else that you append to it programmatically and every time that i've used a framework that does this it has been super painful it's impossible to test and it's just you have to remember all of these gazillion options instead of having a simple markup for the view so tell me why i'm totally wrong to hate this (laughs) you have to wait until our um declarative ui is coming which will be soon, but some people hate it in Parative UI, and there are lots of reasons to hate it, but maybe we grew up that way, and Imperative UIs also have some benefits. But I, I agree, declarative is nice, and we actually have been pondering about using the Angular, using Angular for that, but I mean, Ang- Angular 2. Right. And... That might be an option, but we also are thinking about introducing something simple uh, in the meantime as a declarative UI mechanism. Um, but we, we won't be getting rid of the imperative one. We will then be offering both. Some people do like it. I mean, it is fairly powerful when you need to embed your logic right into it there. So mixing logic and declaratives and templates doesn't become pretty either. So we're... Um, it will stay and we'll have, yeah, we're going to have a declarative one on top of that. And that's what we're, it's one of the, the big things we're focused on right now. Yeah. And another reason why we haven't moved forward on that one is that declarative UI only makes sense if you have a good data binding as well. Uh-huh. And we really try to avoid the not invented here. And 
create everything on our own. But that that's closely related, uh, declarative UI and data binding. So we really want to make our the right choice there. Yeah. So what? Yeah. What 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 do you think about Angular too? Well, I'm a fan, but you know, I have a whole other show on Angular. So, and I've been playing with it and I've been really enjoying it. So yeah, I'd be happy with that. I also just want to point out that I can also see that this is simpler than the system, the other system that I used, particularly in JavaScript that did things this way, which was ex.js or ext.js. Mm-hmm. Um, you wound up nesting all this stuff instead of doing a dot append to, and it just turned into a holy mess. And so I can see that this is a little bit nicer in the sense that you you set up all your objects and then you append them to the right place, and that may not be as painful. But overall, I just had this reaction because I had a year of pain where I dealt with this in another framework, namely Ext. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm with you. I'm I'm, I'm with you, and I it, it's nothing that we um, will put off for a long time. But yeah, well, but it's yeah. it's a work in progress. I, I'm really curious to see what you come up with. But, yeah, uh, we just we want to get it right because yep. it's one of the things that we're and again this might be our the way we've grown up with Eclipse. We don't like to break people once we've put it out there. Yeah, and totally fair. We built we've been building widget toolkits for a long time and trying to maintain backwards compatibility. And then you come up with a better idea tomorrow and say, "Oh, but now we're going to break everybody." So we like to get it right. Yeah, and we've been pretty successful. Hey, it works. So uh, one of the things you said earlier was that Tabris is right once run everywhere. Is that what you guys said? I don't know if we said that, but we, it is one of those types of platforms. Is that, is that a philosophy that, that, that you guys? Yeah, um, I would think so. So some of the other competing toolkits in this space, like React Native, React Native says, learn once, write everywhere, which, which means instead of having one code base that universally runs on all phones, you instead have one concept or one framework that can be used to build apps independently for iOS and Android. And they don't even support Windows Phone at all, which... Uh, you know, it's just totally out the window there. <laughs> Pun. Anyway, in reality, have you found the right once run everywhere to be effective at building UI, native UI that looks and feels great on the different on the two different platforms, at least Android and iOS? Yes. So it doesn't mean that 100% of the code is identical. So that doesn't work. You have to come up with, I would say, between 2 and 5% of your code needs to differ between the platforms. It doesn't mean that everything is the same, but the amount of code that is identical is huge. And so we have a lot of experience with that. What's really important is that you can enable developers to make each platform shine. And I mean, that a platform shines, that's very often that small things. It's, it's the small things that makes the impression and that you need to enable. But the bulk of the stuff is just the same everywhere. And so if I change your question a little bit, can you write better apps if you target each platform individually? Yes, you can. There's no doubt about it. So our customers are mainly ISVs and enterprises. ISVs? Independent software vendors. Okay. So people that write software for warehouse management and yeah, all, all those software companies out there and they have to serve more and more platforms. Yeah. They still need to serve a desktop. They still need to serve a browser and now they need to serve iOS and they need to serve Android. And if worst comes to worse, 
they need to support another mobile platform. And <laughs> I noticed how you didn't name that one. <laughs> <laughs> the worst comes the worst platform. Let's just leave it at that. BlackBerry. Um, <laughs> That's when the worst comes to really, really worst. <laughs> Uh, we have a Canadian on that call. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I spent eight years in Waterloo, right next to the Research in Motion. That's what BlackBerry used to be called. Oh, uh, nice. Buildings. So. Nice. Okay. So, and, and these guys need platforms that enable them to be very productive. And they don't need a consumer grade, the, like get the last 3% out of the app. They need apps that are have a good usability, that look good, that feel native on the platform, yeah, that are easy to use. And that's what we can achieve with write it once and run it on multiple platforms. And if you want to do a, like, if Google wants to do a an app that's consumer and they have hundreds of teams and millions of users, they can for sure write a better app if they go native. But then... The question is, do you really benefit from writing it in one language? Because you still need to learn all the platform-specific API. So I'm personally a little bit skeptical about writing in the same language, but with different API. I'm not sure that this really helps a lot. That's my take on it. And we do have support for platform-specific properties and things. So if there is particular properties that are available only on one platform, you, you can enable that. You can block that and say, okay, let's you know turn on this particular shadow or whatever it is, this effect that we want on this platform. So you can get some of those platform differences and, and do those, but uh, Jochen is absolutely right. I mean, if you want to do everything on that, um, then you've got to learn both platforms and maintain multiple mobile apps and... So, and then I actually, if I if I want to go in the full depths and breadths, then I also want the tool support. Yeah, then I want yeah the code completion support in my IntelliJ IE to find out what exact properties I can set and w- which exact methods are there. And then I don't want to be in a JavaScript editor and guess uh, which type of string I have to type here. So just to be clear, Ian, you were talking there for a minute about being able to conditionally load different platform features. So does that mean that in the same code base, I can say, if I'm on Android, load this, and if I'm on iOS, load this, instead of doing two different builds and two different code bases? Yeah, you would do it in one. It's not right. so much load. It's if on iOS, you know, set this particular right. flag, uh, this, you know, this, this header that's just okay. not available on Android or something like that. Yeah. So what I've always wondered... Because the idea of Tablet sounds good to me. Like, design a great experience once and run that on multiple platforms. And I don't get why people go through, like, so much time and effort to make their iOS app look great. And then they're, like, spend, I don't know, about as much time as a three-year-old would on a coloring project for their Android app. And then you get, like, this terrible Android experience. So the idea of, of, like, you know, if I could design it once and make it great and deploy it on all platforms rather than saying, well, we're going to spend the $20,000 on iOS and then, you know, I, I don't know. This sounds like a better deal to me. It's the dream, right? Yeah, it's not always that simple, though. I, I, mean, I was all, all the way down to the view layer, the APIs are different. Some things you can build and they'll look the same and other things you just can't. I, I wanted to ask you why you think other projects that have been targeting this exact same problem have failed. Or, I mean, I guess they haven't failed, but... 
I feel like none of them have really taken off in a big way. And the gold standard still is to build it native. Does that question make sense? Yeah, I mean, there, there are some frameworks from, like, let's call it the past that haven't really made it. But I see two main reasons. Performance, which was, yeah, just so bad that, like, you simply couldn't build anything useful with it from my point of view. And the other one is you, you need platform parity. And, and at least some of the old platforms that I'm aware of, they, they've been pretty good on iOS, but terrible on Android. And then it's really not worth the effort. And I mean, then we have that new breed of, of uh, multi-platform JavaScript platforms like React and, and NativeScript and, and, uh, and Tempest.js. And they're just new. I mean, they, they're barely a year old. I think it's too early to to judge how successful they are. Oh yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't mean that they haven't been successful yet. I guess just saying this is a problem a lot of people have attacked already. Right. Most people who are writing iOS apps are writing them in Objective C or Swift instead of going with a platform like Tabris or NativeScript or React Native or Cordova based. Is that is that what you're driving at, Jameson? Yeah, I, I don't even know anything about the numbers, but I feel like most of the apps I use are are definitely native apps. That's kind of the experience I have. I have like um, a couple of people that are sort of interested in building stuff for mobile, and they just like don't and not into this at all. They just want to go Swift all the way if they're doing iOS. But but you said something interesting there. Most apps you have installed are native, and I mean this is a native app. I mean you get a real APK that will be installed. So if if it's a Tabris app. The Tabris JS app running on someone's phone, you're not going to know. I mean, the Cordova one's a little bit different. That is a web view and we're not in that bucket. But I think for, for these types of apps, I mean, I, I don't think I would know if I was running a, a React app, a React native app. It, it's going to look native on these devices. So from a, from an end user standpoint, that's where we really want to stand out and say, yeah, this is something that your users are going to love to use. It's, it's going to feel the way they would expect the apps to feel on their phone. But uh, for, for the developers, yeah, it's new. And I think that's maybe that's the, the challenge for a lot of people is getting it out there, getting letting people know that these technologies exist and getting over those fears that they've had in the past that the performance was just terrible. I mean, we're that's one of our, our big focuses has been on performance, which is why we went with a V8 implementation, for example. Uh, we first implementation used Rhino, and that lasted about two weeks. And we said, this isn't going to cut it. And so we dropped that, and we brought in V8 for that. Yeah, I just want to pile on here that, yeah, the the native JavaScript bridge type app, uh, app frameworks haven't even been possible for, you know, except for, for the last year or so. And so um, when you've heard a lot of the issues with these other apps, it was mostly based on the WebView apps, and the WebViews weren't optimized to serve up those kinds of apps. But now that you can do all of the native stuff and you can make the native calls over the JavaScript bridge, yeah, they feel native. Outside of JavaScript, has there not been another language that tar- tried to target both, like C++, or another framework that uses a language to target both? I know that RubyMotion has, but it statically compiles. So it's a little, it's a different approach. It statically compiles to runtime on Android and iOS, and you have to do a few different, sometimes you want to squint at your code a little bit things to make it work on Android. And that's the only other way I've seen it approached, is where it statically compiles to runtime. Yeah, actually, there's also Xamarin, and I think these guys are 
pretty successful in their ecosystem, which is Microsoft developers, uh-huh. and they use C Sharp. Yeah, and Xamarin, I believe, also statically compiles. Yeah. What does it mean to statically compile? So basically, it compiles using LLVM to the bytecode that runs on iOS, and then it compiles however it has to compile to run on Android, and I don't know the details there. Yeah, you write write in one language and cross compile off to the different yep. the different platforms that you want that on. Yep. Where in this case it's actually the JavaScript with native script and Tabris is interpreted on the machine and then any calls that have to be made to the runtime get sent over we've talked about it a few times, the JavaScript bridge that allows uh native code to be run on the other end. And in that, those cases, not only do you need, you know, you'll need tool support for whatever language you're writing it in, you're probably also going to want the tools around for the language you're compiling to. Mm-hmm. So you're still going to, to now, not, now you need both. You're still, you're not getting away from Xcode if that was, was a yep. problem. You need to understand that. And the code that you need to understand is probably something you never want to look at. And now you've got to take that to build out your, out your apps and things. So the tool support there seems like a, a big challenge. So back to the look and feel. When I think Android apps, I think gray and green. When I think iPhone apps, I think white and outlined. And so even though it's native, how do you create something that's a middle ground that fits the look and feel of both? So because like if I was using Android and I had an app that looked like an iPhone app, I might it might not feel native to me and vice versa. No, I mean you you just put that into in to separate files and load it per platform. If if we're talking colors. And a lot of the other stuff is actually Platform defaults. So take a text input. Yeah, on on Android, for example, it doesn't have a box anymore. It's just a line that's below. Yeah, the input. And on on iOS, usually it has a box, but you don't have to do anything. That's just the default. Does it make sense? So you can yeah. override the styling, right? Yes. But if you often you don't want to override the styling, I think right. is the is the point. You want to use the, the default, the platform default, so they don't look exactly the same. But the text box looks like it should look on all other iOS apps. And if you just leave everything the way it is, and it looks the way it should look on all other Android apps, if you just leave it, mm-hmm. we do get the case, you know, where some people say, "Hey, wait a second, I want these to look exactly the same. What's going on here?" And that becomes bugs. Sometimes people file. They say, "You know, I ran this on iOS and I have a box around it, and, and on Android I don't. What's going?" on. And that's because there are two different platforms and we want to maintain the native look and feel of those platforms. So you can override it if you really want to make them look the same. But I think the point there was that often you don't. You want them to look the way they should look natively. Yeah, I have a question. It might be somewhat naive since I'm really not very familiar with this space. But as we were kind of talking about earlier, like going fully native or like this is (laughs) semi-native, I don't (laughs) know. Uh, however you want to call it. As a newer developer, I've been, it's been like drilled in my head that the code I write should be like do one thing and be very concise. And I know like when we had the native script people on, they talked about in their views when they're using XML, you have like flags for the different devices. So I guess my question is, uh, and Chuck might be able to answer this because of him doing a lot of mobile. Like, at what point is it a trade-off decision where you have like just a bunch of logic in order to try to have code that runs everywhere? And so the app, if it's very large and you have all this logic, it becomes more complex as opposed to just writing to different apps that are native and then the code in those are more concise. 
Well, I think in our case, I think what I mean, Jochen mentioned earlier, two to five percent maybe is the kind of difference you'd be looking for for platform differences. And really, if it's about styling, then we can. The neat little trick we do is just put all the styling in a file and just load that file dynamically at runtime, depending on what platform it is. So the logic and everything is exactly the same across the platforms. Um, at least with, with Tavish JS apps, you don't have to start saying, you know, if it's Android, you know, do this. If it's iOS, do that. It's really just about the, you know, the small parts of the styling that you might want different. Does that answer what you were getting at? Well, let's, yeah. let's, let's, uh, put it, put it a different way. So if, if you're, if the differences are as big as you, I mean, are thinking they can get, then you can still write two apps. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. If you get to that point where you find your app is getting too complicated because you have to switch case or yeah, distinguish between the two platforms, then you can still do that. There's nothing wrong with doing that. In usually that's not necessary. I imagine it's a lot easier to fork two apps than to merge two apps into one. Yes. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. But the other thing is, is that, I mean, most phones, if I hold my iPhone up at a distance and AJ holds up his Android phone at a distance, all things being equal, they're going to look pretty similar. They function pretty similarly. So unless you're doing things that really dig into the differences between the two platforms, you're probably not going to have a major problem with that. But that's, if, you, that's, if you do and you're deviating half of your code, then, yeah, split it to two apps. And yet the mainstream right now is to write two apps. I mean, yeah. Every mobile app development team I know, which is not a ton, but, you know, it's a fair sample, uh, they have two different teams, one for Android, one for iOS. Yeah. But I did like the point that was made that, I mean, you could conceivably fork it and write two Tabris apps, and one is Android and one is iOS. And with the module system in Tabris, you could conceivably also then have your shared logic in some modules that you just load into both. I wonder if iOS developers look at people trying to write uh, like iOS apps in JavaScript like we look at people using CopyScript. <laughs> <laughs> Having talked to many, many of them, most of them don't think about it at all. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I wonder that they're just I'm like... Pretty, I can just see like these armies of iOS developers just wringing their hands about these <laughs> JavaScript losers. Yep. <laughs> No, just all like, day we're, long. We're too not, busy making money to even consider whether or not you are. <laughs> yeah, it's not until we start seal, stealing their jobs or competing with their with them for users is it even going to register, I don't think. Well, those days are coming, I'm pretty sure. I mean, Ian and Johan, do you guys believe that over the course of the next year or two, we're going to start seeing more of an ecosystem cross-pollination between, let's call them native app developers, your traditional mobile app developers, and traditional web developers who are now going to start making a foray into doing mobile app development. Absolutely. I think so. Yeah, I'm not so sure about the native developers. I mean, they will try to defend their ground. But then <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty, yeah. There's positive. so many of us. <laughs> well, and unless, We're like orcs. <laughs> unless they get Apple or Google on board, it just won't happen. And And the more apps that do more things that more users want, the happier they are. So I, I really agree. I think to a certain extent, JavaScript's going to move into there. Some people are going to really want, you know, written in the technology that the company that built the platform designed for the platform and other companies won't care. 
and I mean, we'll find some balance where that all starts to even out. These frameworks like NativeScript and Tabris and React Native, they're so new, and yet I already know a good handful of people who are formerly web developers with no mobile app experience putting native applications into their various mobile app stores. I mean, it's incredible. And why not? It's it's cool. So, it's super cool. I just wonder. I wonder if the tide is going to come in. You know, of the <laughs> the orcs, the orc armies of web developers. Well, I also wonder what implications that has for things like ES6, where you know we need the JavaScript that we can rely on, and ES5 is something that is implemented even on the phones correctly. So, can you write Tabris with ES6? Just add a build step. Yeah, as you know, JavaScript Core doesn't support ES6. So, I mean, you can actually you can do everything um, at build time, but you still need shims and for right. runtime. And on the on the Android side, we're using a slightly older version of V8, although we can swap it out at any time. I'm just waiting to do that. But there's no point in moving one platform forward if the other one's not ready. So, um, yeah, do it with a build step and mm-hmm. and shims. There is. It's perfectly fine, but the Android stuff, uh, we we did swap it out, and you could do that fine on the Android side of things. Yeah, we're all waiting for ES6 um, JavaScript core. Which, to be fair, is is the life of a web developer, too. I mean, everyone that uses ES6 now transpiles it, so that doesn't feel any different to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to write mine in uh, in type coffee closure script. <laughs> and I just want to write mine in actual legitimate JavaScript. <laughs> you are you are so free to do that. That's the great thing. You can actual legitimate JavaScript meaning. Although ES6? by calling by calling it legitimate, I feel like I was just called a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dave. It's just how I feel about you. <laughs> <laughs> I still love you. <laughs> I have one more question. I'm coming to this from some experience in React Native, and I know you can write native components and then kind of expose them to React Native. Um, and, and that's one way you can kind of make use of the expert iOS or Android developers. They can do all the heavy lifting and then expose them to the teams writing in JavaScript. Is there support for doing that in Tabris as well? Yeah, yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's where, yeah, uh, Cordova is, is basically our answer Cordova plugins. We, you, you write them natively, uh, but in, in the native languages. So in, in Java on Android or, Objective-C or even Swift and build out a Cordova plugin and expose the API that you want your JavaScript to call. So, you know, not only can you do that and share that, you can take the huge ecosystem that's already out there of those plugins. As long as it's not using web views, you're free to, you're free to use it. Okay. Yeah, basically you, you have to tie into the, um, in, into the widget hierarchy. Yeah. So we provide some. API that you need to implement to become part of the of the widget hierarchy. So you said Cordova plugins, and I'm wondering about CocoaPods. So do you have to build a Cordova plugin for the CocoaPods that you want to bring in then? Yes. Okay. I mean that's our that's the way how we consume it also in the build service. Okay. Chuck, are you cuckoo for CocoaPods? <laughs> I really like it. That was an eighties joke, by the way, for those yeah. young ladies. <laughs> Back when we had small talk and cocoa puffs, <laughs> cocoa I puffs were the it. best cereal because they're old. That's how you know they're the best. <laughs> and they had sweet message passing. Yeah, yeah. Cocoa pods is based on uh, Ruby Gems and Bundler, so I'm pretty familiar with how that all works. So it- yeah, so the, the example though about the 
extending it for other widgets. I mean, that's, we, we just did that as, well, part of a proof of concept, also to show people how it's done. Um, we built a map widget and we could have built it as just part of our platform, but we built it out as a separate widget that you could just consume as a Cordova plugin. And that full example of how to do that. And now you have a native, you know, map widget on each, on, on the different platforms. So it kind of served as both purposes. You now have a map widget available, but now it's also a reference implementation for how you can go about building your own your own custom widgets using a Cordova plugin. I really like that idea that, well, I mean, it's like people who are building Tabris apps are contributing back to the JavaScript community for everyone, you know, and in a good way, because that you've got the separation of the view logic versus the controller logic. And so, I mean, that's, it's got benefits. Even if you're not using Tabris, Tabris being in the community is benefiting you. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's go ahead and do some picks. Before we get to picks, I want to take some time to thank our silver sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Thinkful.com. Thinkful.com is the largest community of students and mentors. They offer one-on-one mentoring, live workshops, and expert career advice. If you're looking to build a career in front-end, back-end, or full-stack development, then go check them out at Thinkful.com. This episode is sponsored by TrackJS. Let's face it, errors cost you money, you lose customers, server resources, and time to them. Wouldn't it be nice if someone told you how and when they happen so you could fix them before they cost you big time? You may have this on your back-end application code, but what about your front-end JavaScript? It's time to check out TrackJS. It tracks errors and usage and helps you find bugs before your customers even report them. Go check them out at trackjs.com slash jsjabber. AJ, do you want to start us with picks? Oh, yes. Okay, so both the belated media What If Episode 3 were good and how Revenge of the Sith should have been came out. So those are two alternate ways that, that you know, that the prequels could have been awesome. And those are both out and they're great. The Force Awakens is pretty good. And obviously there's some criticisms, but uh, I, I've read some of the articles online and I think that, that uh, they're, they're justly handled. But if you're a Star Wars fan, then you've seen four. There's no, yeah. There, if you're not a Star Wars fan, you might still like the Force Awakens. There's a new Star Wars movie. i'm sure it hasn't made any money so and nobody's seen it and uh also i'm gonna pick the thing explainer so it's this book that is lots of complicated stuff in simple words so i'm just gonna open up to a random page here so you can guess what this is big tiny thing hitter so I'm I'm guessing that this is the Haldron Collider that they're talking about. <laughs> but it's it's just like lots of really complicated and weird stuff like the sun and food heating radio box and <laughs> um Is that shared, the XKCD guy, by the yeah, way? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Shared space house. And and then the explanations, I'll just read like a little snippet here from one of the explanations. So Skyboat Pusher. Skyboats, like cars and sea boats, are pushed by machines that burn fire water. Fire water needs air to burn, <laughs> and skyboat pushers use special blowers that use air they're moving through nice. to feed their fire. <laughs> and it's got the diagrams there. Anyway, it's just it's just really cool of how you can explain complicated stuff to a person that only knows the thousand most common English words, excluding the swear words. <laughs> Right, and I, that last one was a jet engine, right? Uh, I think it was jet plane. No, it was a skyboat pusher. <laughs> I thought it was a pod racer. It's actually really indistinguishable from the pod racer, but I think actually, it was I a think, jet engine. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right, Chuck. I was wrong. 
All right, Amy, what are your picks? Okay, so the first one is just a short article. It's actually uh, at angoclass.com, but it's called uh, Making a Mini List Introduction to Transpilers. So it was pretty short, and I thought it was pretty good. If you're interested in that kind of stuff, like I was this past weekend, just trying to like get a baseline for understanding this sort of thing since it's not something I'm horribly familiar with since I haven't gone that deep yet. So that was good. And then my second pick, because I said Roll Tide at the beginning, I want to pick Nick Saban. I'm not necessarily like some huge, crazy Alabama fan, but I really like Nick Saban. Uh, Just his approach to coaching and stuff reminds me of when I skated. So that is my second pick. Is he the coach for the Alabama football team? Yes, he is. Uh, he's extremely intense, and I love <laughs> like watching his YouTube videos when he uh, is doing like drills and stuff with the players for practice. Um, I don't know. I just really, really like him. I like his uh, mindset to a lot of things. I am now waiting for your blog post, Amy. How football is like figure skating? <laughs> uh, I don't know if that would ever come, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jameson, what are your picks? I have three picks. The first one is this story about Bill Gates in the 1970s that I just liked. It's about this game called Petals Around the Rose. It's just this like puzzle game. Uh, and it's just kind of an interesting story about some famous people in computing history that I liked. And then I, I gave up on the game and just Googled the answer. But if you like puzzles, you might like the game that they describe as well. My next pick is an article called The Normalization of Deviance in Software. How completely messed up practices become normal. I've like fallen into this guy's blog over the last couple of weeks, and he has a really large backlog, and all of his articles are interesting. Um, but I, I particularly liked this one. It's about how we oftentimes weird stuff happens in software projects and at software companies that if you were an outside observer just looking in, um, it would look insane. And you'd wonder why anyone would ever do that. And he kind of goes through the process of how you end up in this horrible place um, and, and what you can do to maybe avoid it. One particular wrinkle I liked is he talks about how when new people get hired at a company, they'll often come in and just be flabbergasted about some broken process or crappy code or something. And then everyone else is like, calm down. It's fine. It's not that big of a deal. And then they get used to it. And then another new person comes in. And by that time, that everyone is used to it again. So you just kind of like slowly acclimate people to horrible broken things. Uh, but you don't have to do that. You can you can get around it. My last pick is related to Amy's pick, actually. It's a a talk. I went to CodeMash last week, which was good. And this was probably one of my favorite talks there called Programs That Write Programs, How Compilers Work. I didn't do a compilers or programming language class in school. So this is a thing that I just kind of always thought was magic. Uh, it's just a really clear introduction to compilers in a way that made sense to me and wasn't intimidating. So I appreciated that. Those are my picks. All right. Dave, do you have some picks for us? Oh, hey. Hey, how you guys doing? Pick number one, if you had told 10 years ago, Dave, that he would be picking Microsoft in 10 years, 10-year-old Dave would have punched you in the face because that's insane. But it turns out, Microsoft, I would like to pick you this week because today is the day that we're recording this, January 12th. Microsoft is ending support for so many different old versions of Internet Explorer. Uh, For all operating systems I care about, it's versions 8, 9, and 10 are all ending support today. No. And I just want to, I want to, yeah. 
It's like saying goodbye to a long friend. Anyway, I want to... Actually, it's more like saying goodbye to a... Never mind. Can't go there. So I just want to pick Microsoft for having the gusto to really go and do something big like this and really open the doors to a new era. I think we really can't understate the importance of this move uh, from a company that has... Its bread and butter is backward compatibility forever and supporting things forever. They are taking a stand, ending support for these old browsers, which I think is fantastic. So, Microsoft, you've been picked. My second pick is um, my favorite comedian, which I'm reminded again recently watching some of her stuff, is Tina Fey. I just love Tina Fey. She says so much hilarious stuff, and I'm a huge fan. And my third and final pick is a little company out of Germany called ThoughtRam, run by my friend Pascal Precht, who uh, really has done such a fantastic job for the Angular community. His writing, him and his partner, have written so many high-quality articles. If you go to ThoughtRam, uh, just Google ThoughtRam blog and just start reading, you'll be amazed at how well they explain things that you thought you understood fully, but you didn't. Um, but they do. And so I want to pick Pascal, also a good friend of mine too, Pascal. Uh, he's been in my home, love the guy, and I can't wait to see him again at NGConf, which is just coming up here in a few months. Yeah, Pascal did a an episode on adventures in angular. So feel free to go check that out. And we did, we talked about the documentation and stuff. I've got a pick. I'm mostly just going to talk about CES because I think there were some things that were interesting and cool there besides AJ. Yeah. I was just walking down the aisles and I got stopped by AJ because his company was there talking about what they're doing, which is really cool actually. And I'll let him talk about that sometime. But uh, anyway, it was really interesting just walking through there and seeing how, how much stuff, there was a ton of Internet of Things stuff that was out there. Um, everything from home automation, uh, medical devices. There were smart everythings that you can possibly wear. So pants, socks, shoes, shirts. I didn't see underwear, but I wouldn't put it past them. They had all kinds of stuff. We just had a baby, so I went and looked at the baby stuff. And they have little things that clip onto the baby's diaper and you know, kind of help you keep tabs on what's going on. So if they need to be changed or if they uh, have a temperature or things like that, I mean, just awesome stuff. There was a whole section on uh, 3D printing. There was also, like I said, a whole section on the Internet of Things stuff and robotics um, was most of what I saw. Um, in past years, I've also seen all of the TVs, the smart TVs and the 4K TVs and the cars and the smart appliances and stuff like that. Some of which is interesting and some of it really isn't. Um, if you ever go to CES, uh, let me know so I can tell you what to see and what to kind of go have your wow factor and then not really stick around those booths because they're huge and nothing. Yeah, there was pet stuff too. There's all kinds of stuff. So anyway, if you're interested in what's coming out probably in the next three to five years, CES is awesome. Uh, it's a great experience. Book your hotel room way in advance. Yeah, I, I really see the Internet of Things stuff coming up here. So uh, I'm going to be trying to get more of that stuff on the shows, on this show and on the iOS shows, because most of the people I talked to, I'd walk up and talk to them and they'd show me what they had. And then I'd ask them if there was an API and they'd be like, yep, sure is. So you could program the robots or you could remotely control the robots or uh, your home automation stuff was mostly, you know, API pro programmable. So. Anyway, really, really awesome stuff. So a lot of JavaScript for uh, the APIs? A lot of them. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of them. A lot of them are JavaScript. Uh, several of them were Java or C. Um, but yeah, there were a lot of them that were programmable in JavaScript or in JavaScript and a couple of other languages. So uh, any, any small talk? 
That's the only thing I write. <laughs> uh, yeah, there there were no hipster APIs that I could find, so lame. I'm just excited for the Internet of Baby Things. Yep. I'm also going to warn you, if you're looking at 4K <laughs> TVs, there is no standardization, so don't buy one yet. Uh, anyway. Uh, I don't buy I don't. The 4K TVs don't do small talk anyway, so screw yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, but the quality, in my opinion, is better than 3D TVs. Like, if you're going to buy one, buy a 4K TV, not a 3D TV. How would you fit small talk in 4K, though? Oh, it could, it could fit in 4K. How many D's does a 4K TV have if there's three D TVs? 4K. Oh, it's so complicated. So confused. All right. So, uh, Ian, what are your picks? Uh, I got a pick here. It's um, themodernteam.com. It's a blog. It's uh, run by a, a local Victoria designer. So shout out to something local here in Victoria. Uh, articles um, about building exceptional teams. But he's getting a lot of good uh, guest posts. So uh, Ken Goldstein, who's the CEO of shop.com, a former executive VP at Disney Online. He, he wrote a post. That was the most recent one. And really kind of getting in. I mean, he, you know, talking about what made Walt Walt Disney tick and uh, and how he uh, and, and how he he demanded it so much of himself. So seeing, seeing posts like that, that's that's really cool. That, that's my main pick there. From a JavaScript side of things, um, I've been reading a lot from Eric Elliott. I'm sure you guys have mentioned his stuff before. Uh, most of the stuff he has is, is pretty good in JavaScript. Um, and he, he's starting a foundation to get uh, to help homeless people learn to code. Um, I said I like to uh, to help developers, but that that's pretty cool. Um, to actually, you know, putting our our stuff to good use. So um, I think that's that deserves a, a shout out there. That's my picks. All right. I forgot how to say your name. Jochen. <laughs> yeah, you. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm going ahead. So my pick is not an easy read, but it's uh, pretty interesting. It's Sinking uh, Fast and Slow. Uh, it's a book by um, a guy who received the Nobel Prize on uh, economics. He's a psychologist and explains how the brain works. Uh, which is extremely insightful. And he is also very skeptical about humans making decisions because they are usually biased and encourages more artificial intelligence or more algorithms being used. So it's a very interesting read. You learn something about yourself. And he really has some good ideas about how to run projects, how, how to cope with uh, some of our deficiencies, let's put it that way. That's my pick. All right. Well, if people want to follow up with uh, the two of you on anything you're working on or with Tavers.js, what do they do? I'm on Twitter, um, I-R-Bull, I-R-B-U-L-L. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, eclipsource.com is um, our company website. we got a blog there. You can find me under one of our many authors on that blog as well. So ping me on Twitter or leave a comment on one of my many blog posts and I'll try to get back to you. And tabersjs.com as well. And that's where you'll find everything tabersjs related. All right. Jochen, any? I also have a blog. I rarely use Twitter, so that's probably not the best channel for me. Okay. Where's your blog? I'll send you a link at eclipsource.com. Okay. We'll go ahead and wrap up the show. Thank you all for coming. Catch you all next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. 
Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit c a c h e f l y dot com to learn more. Do you wish you could be part of the discussion on JavaScript Jabber? Do you have a burning question for one of our guests? Now you can join the action at our membership forum. You can sign up at javascriptjabber.com slash jabber, and there you can join discussions with the regular panelists and our guests. 